This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Trash Talk with TK. I am TK Tom Kelly. In this episode, we'll talk about Sixers' disappointing loss to the Celtics last night. What can they do to solve these problems with Boston? It's really frustrating. We'll talk about that. Talk about the Phillies offseason so far, which has been good. Uh, the trade for JT Real Muto, the new Aaron Nola deal, which is a great deal for the Phils, but they hopefully are not done yet. As good as it's been, I still am not happy unless they get Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. We'll get into those topics. Let's go. Let's start off with the Sixers, who lost a really disappointing game last night at home against the Boston Celtics in what was... Going into it, I felt like the biggest regular season Sixers game that I can remember in a really long time. I mean, quite possibly my lifetime. You know, I was born in 87, 31 years old. Uh, back in 01, yeah, they had some big games back then. I mean, that's kind of hard to remember back that far. That's 17 years ago. At least in recent memory. A huge game last night before the All-Star break after the Sixers make their big move for Tobias Harris to add to the core three of Butler, Simmons, and Bede going against the Boston team that, frankly, seemed to be imploding. I mean, they lose last Thursday. The Lakers get lit up by Landry Shamit and the Clippers over the weekend without Kyrie Irving last night. And the Celtics come limping in here and a really disappointing effort. Once again, the Celtics beat the Sixers in Philadelphia, uh, a game where, you know, the Celtics seemed to have the Sixers number all night long, and it it really gave you flashbacks of the playoff series last year. And I know the personnel is a lot different, aside from Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. I mean, pretty much a, an entirely different 76er team from that series. But it didn't seem to make much of a difference at all. You saw a lot of the same issues rise up and present themselves that happened last year in the five-game playoff series lost to Boston. And it makes you a little concerned of how exactly the Sixers will address this problem with the, not only the Celtics, because this is not just a Boston Celtic issue. I think it predominantly is. But as far as, you know, all the top teams in the East, you look at the statistics, you look at the record this year, Sixers against the Celtics, Bucks, and Raptors this season, just 1-7. And And if you remember that one game the Sixers won where they beat the Raptors here in Philadelphia, there was no Kawhi Leonard, there was no Kyle Lowry, and I believe no Serge Ibaka for Toronto. So... You know, when you look at how the Sixers match up with these teams, there are certainly concerns. I mean, of course, last night, the first time they played any of these teams with Tobias Harris. But there are issues with the Sixers when you look at how they match up with these teams, especially the Boston Celtics. And when you look at the matchup with the Celtics, 
and what exactly the problems are. I think a lot of it can be traced back to the struggles of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And how you remedy this, I'm not exactly sure, but part of it obviously falls on Embiid and Simmons, and especially Embiid, because Simmons, some teams are going to defend him in a way that gives him problems. And it's not an excuse. It's not, you know, saying Ben Simmons, this is completely beyond his control. And, you know, you have to just make up the slack and none of it's on Ben Simmons. Part of it is on Ben Simmons, but I'm not sure the issues with Simmons are correctable like this season. Because you look at Toronto gives him a lot of issues too, the way Kawhi defends him. You saw, you know, kind of the way LeBron defended him in the Laker game, sagging off and that can defend him. affect him a little bit. And I think Ben Simmons, the better he gets at shooting the basketball from the mid-range, the more those things will kind of go away. But right now, that is the the reality of the situation is that's something you just kind of have to live with. That there are going to be certain matchups that are going to be disadvantageous to Ben Simmons. And how can you overcome that elsewhere? And a lot of that is going to fall on Joel Embiid. And the bottom line is Joel Embiid against the Celtics, I'm not sure exactly what it is. I'm not sure if it's the fact that, you know, he presses too much against that team because, you know, you heard Embiid's comments earlier in the year when they lost the Celtics, asked about the rivalry, said it's not a rivalry because every time we play them, they kick our ass. And, you know, I think that gets in his head, and I think every time he goes against Boston, he wants to break that trend. He wants to have a big night. And it's gotten to the point where I think he might be pressing a little bit in those situations, in those games. As far as physically on the court, though, I don't think there's much doubt that Al Horford bothers him. And that's concerning in its own right because Al Horford, you wouldn't think, is the kind of guy that should or would bother Joel Embiid. Because Embiid, when you look at, at those two players, has the clear advantage athletically has the clear advantage physically, but Al Horford seems to do things that bother Joel Embiid. He gets up into his body. He he does not give him space to operate. He plays him physically, and I don't think Joel Embiid is soft at all, but against Horford, he seems to play a little soft. And in general, I was dis- disappointed and disheartened last night with Uh, The effort level. I mean, it seemed like Boston came into that game and it seemed like Boston wanted that game more. And I know we say that a lot and I think a lot of times it can be overdone. You know, the fact who wants it more because obviously both teams want to win the game. Both teams are playing hard. But when you looked at the hustle plays last night, every loose ball Boston was getting to. They were making all the hustle plays. They were making all the winning plays. And if the Sixers want to beat teams like that, they got to make those plays. They got to do the extra little things. They got to make the smart play. You know, the Sixers, I think, can beat a lot of teams just off athleticism. And they will beat three quarters of the teams in this league just off the fact that they are a more athletic team pretty much every time they step on the floor. And that was before acquiring Tobias Harris. You know, when you have star players like Embiid and Simmons and Butler, you're going to be the more talented team more often than not. But when you're playing against a team that is so smart, so well-coached, so experienced as Boston is, 
you got to do the extra stuff. You got to make the hustle plays. You got to make the smart plays. And we didn't see the Sixers do it enough last night. And when you talk about Embiid, um, part of it that is frustrating too is it affects him on the other end of the floor. Like, yeah, he had a couple chase down blocks last night, a couple big time defensive plays. That's good to see. But you could tell it was affecting his defense. Was not defecting the pick and roll well. Was not defect defending the pick and pop well. Some of that comes with experience, maybe miscommunications with the other guy in defending those plays. But part of it is Joel Embiid did not look completely in the game mentally. And when he says something after the game, like he was sleepwalking through three quarters, why are you sleepwalking through three quarters in a game as important as that? And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that's, you know, Joel tends to, after a bad game, get down on himself a little bit and say things to that effect. I don't think he was really sleepwalking. I thought he was mentally, you know, engaged. I just think he gets taken out of his game by Al Horford. And when he sees Horford hitting everything on on one end of the floor and the fact that he can't get anything going, I think he gets frustrated by that. And I think it affects his def- his play defensively. And that's something that needs to be corrected. Now, we move on to the issue that has been talked about, I think, the most and maybe the most concerning issue when it comes to the Sixers Celtics, and that's the mismatch on the sidelines. And I know we like to have our fun with Brad Stevens and joke about how he's kind of an overrated coach and all this stuff, but the bottom line is Brad Stevens is one of the best coaches in this league. And Brad Stevens has a game plan on both ends of the floor that clearly affects the 76ers, and it bothers the 76ers. He has found out a formula to bother Simmons and Embiid. He has found out a formula on the offensive end that gets the most out of his big-time players. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jason Tatum always has his best games when he's playing against the Sixers. He is put in situations to succeed. And, you know, you look at what he did in the fourth quarter last night in terms of being innovative, being creative, and the Sixers had no answers, that Brad Stevens, in the fourth quarter, decided, you know, in in the way to attack this Sixers starting five, which is very athletic, very long defensively, with their core four. But he decided, okay, with a lineup, even though we have Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, who was cooking last night, Al Horford, and Terry Rozier on the floor with Kyrie out, you know who we're going to run our offense through? We're going to run our offense through Marcus Smart because he's matched up with the weak link on the Sixers defensively, which is J.J. Redick. And they posted Marcus Smart on J.J. Redick every time. And if the help didn't come, Marcus Smart would muscle his way inside and get a bucket. And if the help did come, Boston would swing the ball and more often than not get an open three, and they weren't missing their threes last night. And that is a really smart, that was a really smart tactic from Brad Stevens that I don't think a lot of coaches would come up with. When you've got those other guys on the floor, not many coaches are going to come up with the idea, yeah, let's run our offense through Marcus Smart, our worst offensive player on the floor right now. But he saw the liability defensively in J.J. Redick, and he said, that is our best way to attack. That is our best way to get points and score the basketball against the Sixers lineup. And it was concerning to me that once again, 
Brett Brown had no answer. You know, it's a tough matchup on the fly. It's a tough thing to adjust to on the fly. But Brett Brown needs to find a way to, to adjust to that better. You know, shore up your rotations. You know, give a a fake double. I don't know exactly what you can do. You know, I'm not the coach of the Sixers, but I know that Brett Brown, you know, it's his job to make sure you put your players in, in a situation to succeed. And every time the Sixers play the Boston Celtics, they Brett Brown is out coached by Brad Stevens, and I don't know what other way you can really dissect it or digest it other than that that exact fact. And it had shades of the playoffs last year where the Sixers just seemed outmatched from a schematic standpoint on the floor because talent can get you a long way in the NBA. It can until you get to that upper echelon. That's where coaching matters. That's where game plan matters. That's where adjusting on the fly matters. And I think Brett Brown's a really good coach. I'm not in the fire Brett Brown camp. I think Brett Brown is a very good coach. I could see him being the guy here long-term as I hit my microphone. I could see him being the guy here long-term. But there's pressure on him. There's pressure on him to succeed right now. If Brett Brown and the Sixers, as I hit my microphone again accidentally, don't get to the Eastern Conference Finals, I think there's a good chance he's out after this year. I really do. And I've said for a while, I think this organization has always kind of had eyes for Jay Wright. And I think Jay Wright's always kind of had eyes for the Sixers. And I think that could be a potential match at some point. I still like Brett Brown. I still think Brett Brown can be the guy. But they need to find a way to beat these better teams. And if they don't do it this year with this improved roster, I wouldn't be surprised if the organization decided it's time to move move on from Brett Brown. In no way am I advocating that. I don't know how I feel. I think a part of it depends on when they lose in the playoffs and how they lose in the playoffs. But say they lose in a series in the postseason to one of these better teams where they aren't very competitive, they aren't very creative, and it looks like they are schematically outmatched on the floor. It could spell trouble for Brett Brown. Now, when you look at this team heading into the All-Star break, yeah, and Brett Brown said it after the game that they're not worried about the matchup with the Celtics. This is a new team. You can't really draw from the past. And I I get that, and I kind of agree with that. This is only a third game. Things aren't going to work to perfection right away. But I do think going into the All-Star break, I love the fact that the Sixers aren't going into the All-Star break with this bad taste in their mouth. I like the fact that They do get the Knicks tonight. Go up there to New York. Take out your frustration on the Knicks. Beat them by 20, 30 points. And go into the break feeling good about yourself. And I think the Sixers will do just that. I mean, I would not want to be the New York Knicks tonight uh, coming off of a tough loss for the Sixers. I think the Sixers are going to go in there. It's second half back-to-back. I don't think it really matters. I think they're going to go in there and smash the Knicks tonight. And, you know, you'll go in winning three of four, hopefully, with this new group, come out of the All-Star break, and hopefully they can get this stuff together in the last two months. But last night was concerning. Sixers should have won that game. Sixers had their chances. Missed free throws. Jimmy Butler. I mean, come on. Jimmy Butler missing two out of three three free throws after getting fouled from three late in that game. Then the Sixers not able to get a good look down three at the end. 
really frustrating loss, and hopefully the Sixers can get it corrected coming out of the All-Star break. Now I want to talk for a minute about the Phillies. Uh, I did a podcast last week where I talked primarily about the Tobias Harris trade. I did not get to the JT Real Muto stuff. I did it the day before that happened. I talked about it on my shows on WIP over the weekend, but um, I'll touch on it now for any of you who didn't get a chance to hear. Uh, Phillies acquiring JT Real Muto last week from the Marlins. And, you know, I think it's a good move. I think it's a good move. Giving up Jorge Alfaro, Sixto Sanchez, certainly a high price to pay. Um, Sixto Sanchez, I know people a lot of times don't want to put a lot of stock in prospects. A lot of them don't work out. We saw the Phillies trade a lot of prospects back in their heyday. um, And not a ton of them panned out. But the bottom line is every good player was a prospect at some point. And Sixto Sanchez despite the injury concerns, has a ton of potential. I was not in a hurry to give him up. Kind of disappointing the Phillies did have to, but I like it for this team to improve this team right now. Get a guy in JT Real Muto who can step in, immediately be an everyday catcher, immediately be a guy you can place in the middle of that lineup, um, a run producer, a guy who will drive in a lot of runs for you. I, I like the move, um, giving up Jorge Alfaro, a catcher who had some potential. You know, Alfaro would give you glimpses. He had that cannon arm behind the plate, but was not good defensively. Uh, gave up way too many wild pitches, way too many pass balls. And, you know, every now and then he'd run into a, a fastball and drive it 400 feet. And, you know, obviously showed his potential power-wise, but was not nearly enough of a consistent hitter. And this uh, being a Phillies team that's looking to win now, obviously, when you make the deal for Segura, you sign Andrew McCutcheon. This is a team that's ready to push the the progress up to next year. And they want to compete and they want to be in the postseason, whether it be as NL East champions or, or a wildcard team this upcoming season. I think this is a good move. I mean, you got to give to get. Alfaro doesn't kill you that much because you get a guy to take his place in Real Muto and why you have to give up Sixto Sanchez. And, you know, I think a lot of us had dreams of in the future, a Aaron Nola and Sixto Sanchez one-two punch. You know, unfortunately, we won't get to see that, but this is a good move. It's a good move to strengthen this lineup. And the news earlier in the day today, the Phillies end up locking up Aaron Nola, which this move really surprised me. Aaron Nola, a four-year, $45 million extension, which was shocking. I mean, I thought it would be one of those situations where they keep going to arbitration every year. That's not, you know, something that means the organization isn't in love with Aaron Nola. It's just in baseball. A lot of times that's the way it goes down is you just end up going to arbitration year after year. Phillies did it with Ryan Howard for years, and that's how it that that's just how it works in baseball. It's different than a lot of other sports, but another innovative, smart move by Matt Clentak. If you remember, he did a very similar thing last year at the end of spring training when they signed Scott Kingery to a deal with a lot of guaranteed money, even though he never played a major league game. Jury's out on whether that's a good move. I still think it will be. I still think Kingery's going to be a good player. He had a rough year last year, but you know, a guy in his first year in the major leagues without a ton of time at AAA. You know, that's going to happen, and he wasn't playing every day, and it'll be interesting to see Kingery's role this year. Um, 
It looks like he's going to be a super utility guy. We'll see if a deal happens in spring training where they do move Cesar Hernandez. I'm not sure. But either way, I think Kingery in his second year will be better. But when you look at the structure of that contract, you know, obviously different in terms of experience level and, you know, just level of the player. Because Nola is one of the best pitchers in baseball already. But it's a great move. It's a great move to lock him in, make sure he'll be a Philly long-term. Now, when you look at this Phillies offseason, it's been pretty good so far. I think Matt Klintak has done a ton to improve this club this season. There is no doubt about that. No doubt. Matt Klintak has done a nice job making this team better for the 2019 season and really the few year, in a few years beyond as well. But I am of the belief, and I've taken some heat for this, from people who really like the offseason. I like the offseason so far, too. But it remains, you know, in my mind, I still look at this offseason as a complete and utter failure if they do not land Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. I just do. When you look at going into the offseason, and the stupid money comments, kind of aside, I mean, that's obviously part of it, where, you know, I, I think what John Middleton did was really, you know, not a smart thing to do, to put all that pressure on yourself. Because obviously people wanted this team to be competitive for Machado or Harper. But when he makes that stupid money comment, you're basically guaranteeing your fans, we're going to get one of these two guys. You don't know that. You don't know if either of them wants to play in Philadelphia. You can offer them all the money you want. You can't force them to take your money. And I have said the whole time, I don't think Bryce Harper, who I think is their main target, I don't think Bryce Harper wants to play here for whatever reason. I don't get it. I mean... These guys, when you look back to when the Phillies were an, a powerhouse in the National League, this is one of the, this was one of the premier spots in all baseball to play. But, you know, it's a new era, and this, these guys, maybe they don't remember that era. I don't know, but I don't feel like Bryce Harper really wants to play here. I haven't gotten that sense from him, and I've thought the whole time, and I still believe there are rumors about the Giants, I still believe Bryce Harper, when it's all said and done, is going to go back to Washington. I thought that the entire time. I still believe that now. I think... This has all been a charade by Boris to try to increase Washington's offer. And if they got outrageous money elsewhere, maybe they consider it. But I think it has been Bryce Harper's, you know, his wish the entire time to return in Washington. He'll go back and, and he'll be beloved there if he goes back. Now, I, I, I'm not giving up hope on this. I, I still... You know, hope this gets resolved and hope it gets resolved soon. The baseball offseason has just been a disaster. What should be a great offseason for baseball has been a total disaster the way this has played out and it's, they've had to wait so long. Because this lineup with Bryce Harper, I mean, if the Phillies signed Bryce Harper, they would be one of the clear favorites to go to the National League. Now, it was interesting. The lines came out this morning where the Eagles, where the Phillies, Eagles, the Phillies were listed at 10 to 1 to win the World Series. Uh, only behind the Dodgers in the National League. Now, that line tells you that Vegas is still expecting one of these two guys to be a Philly. They wouldn't be nearly that high if they weren't expected to get one of these two players. And when you look at Harper, he's the perfect fit. He really is. You put him in right field, you could have a potential lineup of, no matter how you want to order it, Gene Segura, Andrew McCutcheon, Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, JT Real Muto, Odubel Herrera, Michael Franco, who I still like, and Cesar Hernandez. That is a ridiculous lineup. That is immediately the best lineup in the National League. And it would be a perfect fit. I just don't see it happening. I think Machado's the more likely of the two. I'd rather Harper, because I think 
with Machado, you're a little right-handed heavy in the in the lineup. And also, I still like Franco, and I would still rather him be in the lineup at third base rather than any of those other players. You know, that you could put in the outfield, be it Nick Williams or Aaron Altair or any of those guys. So I would much rather Harper. I think Machado is more likely. I think with Machado, the, the decision probably comes down to the Phillies or White Sox. But at this point, I don't know if you're getting either of them. I think Machado, if I had to bet right now, I would bet Harper goes to the Nationals and Machado comes to the Phillies. And if you get Machado, it's still a really good offseason. But you got to get one of those guys. I don't want to hear the excuses now. I don't want to hear the Phillies, you know, coming out if they don't get one of them, saying about how great of an offseason they had. They came into it saying they were going to spend stupid money. They came into it saying, basically saying they were going to get one of these two guys. They've done a lot of other good things. But I firmly stand by my my statement and my my stance here that if they don't get Bryce Harper or Manny Machado, this is a failure of an offseason, regardless of the other good things they've done. And that'll do it for Trash Talk with TK. I'm TK Tom Kelly. I'll be on WIP this weekend, Saturday night, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., then Monday night, 10 p.m., to 2 a.m. So make sure you are tuned in. Then get you caught up on everything going on over the weekend. Hopefully Bryce Harper or Manny Machado, a Philly by Monday. We shall see. I'll talk to you guys then. See you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.